Greetings in, in Jesus' name, and I welcome each and every one of you to this portion of the, the service here today. It's uh, good to see each one that has came out here today as we worship together. Um, I will be sharing from Psalms again. Uh, as I said earlier, I do not plan to go through the whole book of Psalms. That would take me a few days, and a little of them get redundant. But uh, I have been encouraged with the book of Psalms, and I'll be sharing from Psalms 91 this morning. I recognize that this author um, is a little bit unknown. Uh, some believe it was Moses, because they believe Moses wrote Psalms 90, and then it has a lot of correlation with Psalms 90. Some feel it was David, because there's also phrases and uh, themes in there that relate to Psalms 27 and Psalms 31, which they are fairly confident that David wrote. Honestly, it doesn't really make a big difference to me, but I find it interesting, and I wanted to share that with you before I get started. Before I start, I've got a story I'd like to read to you uh, from Melvin Newland that I found through studying that I feel applies to get our mind thinking, I guess, or keep in the back of our mind as we look at Psalms 91. Back in the early days of the American colonies, David Brainerd was known as the Apostle to the Indians. In 1739, after three years of study at Yale Divinity School, including studies of local Indian languages, David made his way toward a hostile Indian tribe living in the de dense forests of the Forks of the Delaware, an area including parts of what we know today as New Jersey and Pennsylvania. He arrived near one of their villages late one evening, decided to spend the night in the woods before approaching them the next day. He didn't realize that several Indians had been following him for hours. Once he was settled in his campsite, the Indians went on to the village and reported to the chief. That night, the, warrior, the Indians set out to kill him because, up till then, white men had brought them nothing but grief. The warriors silently drew near David's camp as he, was, as he was on his knees praying. While he was praying, the Indians saw a large rattlesnake approach him, lift its head, flicked its forked tongue close to his face, and then for no apparent reason, glide away into the darkness. This made the chief and his warriors very nervous. Instead of killing him, they returned to their village. When David entered the Indian village the next morning, he received a better welcome than he expected. It wasn't until later that he learned of the strange event of the rattlesnake the preceding night. When the Indians gathered around him, he opened his Bible, read from the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, and tenderly told them the story of how God sent his son to die on the cross, that he might take away sin from people's hearts and make them his children. The message was warmly received by the Indians, both in this village and later, among many other Indian villages in the surrounding area. As years passed, in the pages of David's diary, he wrote of how he endured hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. His sufferings caused by disease were intensified by the rigors of life among the Indians and difficult travels in the wilderness as his ministry spread among the Indians in areas of New Jersey and Pennsylvania. He faithfully served the Lord until his death in 1747. Which I found interesting, in 1739 is when he started. So he served the Lord, for let me do the math, less than 10 years on the mission field. 
But why, just keep that story in the back of your head about David going out to the mission field as we take a look at chapter 91 of Psalms. I'll read the whole chapter and then we'll get into it. Psalms 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the, and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand shall fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right side, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague Come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you and keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up. Lest you you dash your foot against a stone, you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra. The young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot, because he has set his love upon you. Therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. He shall call me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Backing up to Psalms 91, the first two verses, and he says, He, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say, Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him I will trust. And I actually considered just stopping right there. Because if there is nothing else you pay attention to today, I want us to think about that very phrase. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. So so what does that really mean? What does it really mean to be in this secret place of the Most High and in the shadow of the Almighty? How do we get there? And what does it honestly look like? I believe that this place, this secret place, or in the shadow of the Almighty, is a place of comfort and care and protection. Sometimes physically, but most importantly, spiritually. And when I talk about God caring for us and being our fortress, I'm talking on a spiritual level. Like, He will keep you if you choose to dwell in this secret place. What does it mean to dwell? To permanently have a personal connection of fellowship. Now think about that a little bit. So he says, dwell in the secret place. Live in the shadow. So what does shadow mean? An expression that amplifies nearness, walk near the shadow. If somebody is walking or some building is there, if you're in its shadow, you are very, very close to that building. Or that person. Now you can say God is everywhere, so let's not take this out of context. I think it's a metaphor used here to indicate that unless we are willing to be close, unless we are willing to fellowship, unless we are willing to go into that secret place of the Most High God, 
the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, unless we're willing to go that far and be in that shadow, is what he's talking about. Are you willing to go there today? And I ask you that question, because that's the question I actually want you to think about today. Because this secret place is not a tiny little built, uh, concrete place in the middle of the basement of a floor so that nobody can hurt us. This place that Christ is talking about, and David refers to it in Psalms 27, 5, and Psalms 30, 31, 20, and I'm not going to turn to it, but it talks about living, dwelling in this holy of holies place with his Lord and Savior. And I ask you that question, are you willing to go there? Because it's not full when four people get into there. It's not a bomb shelter that's 10 by 10 with concrete all around, and even no matter who bombs us, we'll be okay. It's a place where every single one of us can get there. It's your choice. And it really has hit me. After I studied Psalms 21, I was, I was excited about it. Um, I was looking at it, I was like, honestly, how many of us are willing to go there? I'm afraid most times a lot of followers of Jesus like to run to the secret place. And then they like to run and go do something else. See, we, we like to go to that secret place. Maybe it's a Sunday morning. Wow, we feel good. We made it to church. We made it to the whole thing. And we really paid attention. We were so blessed. Wow, God is so good. He is. But I don't think that's dwelling in that secret place. In that holy of holies. In that, in that bond with Jesus Christ. That is just like existing for a little bit. That's like kind of stopping at the motel. You need a one night you know, place to sleep because you don't trust the car. So you sleep, you get up, you move on. I believe what he's saying here, he says, you need to dwell in it. It needs to be your permanent residence. It needs to be the place that you are all the time. Not just Sunday mornings. Not just once in a while. But are you willing to go there? See, if we don't dwell in the secret place of the Most High, and in the shadow of the Almighty, it is our problem. He has enough room for every single person alive. To dwell in that place. I'm afraid too many times we kind of like the fire insurance policy. Let it lay in the office. We want to dwell with Christ just enough so we know that we're connected. We kind of want to live our own life. We want to do our own thing. We don't want to follow the commandments and the laws. Jeff read this morning out of uh, Psalms there talks about following the law of the Lord and in his statutes and in his commandments and in his principles. That's where we find that peace. Yes, I believe sometimes as you, now you're getting it, this, this day, the story of the missionary. He was physically protected by a rattlesnake. Unbelievable, right? Nothing could have killed him. That's the point. But that rattlesnake coming up, which I would say at that moment is a bad part of this story, you know, Story goes from good to bad to bad to good, back and forth. The rattlesnake kills him before he even gets to the village, but in the end it saved him. But I believe he was walking and dwelling and living in this secret place and living in the shadow of the Almighty God. And God chose to protect him. I believe there's care and there's protection in there. So how do we get there? Jesus says, I am the way. You must experience salvation. First and foremost, and I did not intend this to be a salvation message, but I'll never apologize for preaching salvation because that is the ultimate, our ultimate decision in life. 
but you have to experience salvation. Jesus Christ has to become your Lord and Savior. You can never do anything good enough for that gift of salvation. It has to be an opening of your heart and saying, I give my life to Jesus. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I am going to commit my life to him. You're not going to get to this dwelling place by reading the Bible through every week, every day. I don't care how much you want to read. I don't care how much you do. You're not going to get there unless, first and foremost, you give your life to Jesus Christ. He died for you. And so that is the very first step. And I want to clarify that because as we look in a few more, I want to be perfectly clear. I do believe that we have to live out the truths of God's word. We have to follow the fruits of the Spirit. I'm going to turn to 1 John 1 for a little bit, and then we'll come back to Psalms. But 1 John 1, starting in verse 3, reading to verse 7. I'd like us to look at that for just a little bit. I think it gives us an insight what it actually means to dwell in that secret place. 1 John 1, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. This is a message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Amen. I added the amen. But I believe that should actually, when we actually look at 1 John there, it should be incredible to us. Incredible the fellowship that we can have with our Lord and Savior. And when I mean fellowship, I don't mean randomly throwing up a prayer because we're stuck beside the road and our tire's flat. I don't mean randomly we're out of money and we say, hey, God, we could use another 50 bucks this month. I don't mean randomly wondering when we need him, we'll call upon him. Fellowship is that, that, that innermost needing of our Lord and Savior. That innermost communion and conversation and, and wanting more and more of Jesus and of understanding who and what Jesus is. That's fellowship. And, and what's so neat about it is we can have fellowship, he says in verse uh, 3 there, is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And out of that fellowship, which I do believe is walking in that light and, and living that life, then old things become passed away and behold, all things become new and we get a new mind. See, when we worship Jesus and we fellowship with Him and we communicate with Him and we walk with Him, the old things become less important to us. I do believe. Because we are so in tune with the Spirit. But that fellowship is up to you. Jesus has got enough time to fellowship on a very deep level with every single person in this room. I'll be honest with you. We as people don't. We've got a limited amount of time. There's a limited amount of ears and a limited amount of hearing you can do. But that's not our God. Our Lord and Savior can fellowship. And then he goes on to say in verses 6 and 7, he says, If you walk in the dark, if you say you have fellowship and you walk in darkness, you lie. If you walk in the light because you have the fellowship with Jesus Christ, then this, his son cleanses us from most of our sin, right? 
all. I'm glad somebody did listen. All of our sin. He doesn't say, if you walk in the light, then I'll help you part of the time. See, this is the problem. The part of the time that comes from not dwelling comes back to us. And I'd like us to think about that a little bit. I do believe that our fellowship will take away our hatred, will take away our malice towards others, take away our way and move into a selfless life of servanthood for Jesus Christ. Are you willing to live it out? Are you willing to care for someone else? Are you willing to look out for the best of somebody else, even if you don't agree with them? What are you willing to do? And I ask you that question, because that's really walking in the light. That's really walking in the light of Jesus Christ, and that is dwelling in that secret place. Living that, that life 100% of the time. And then you can honestly say, He is my refuge and my fortress. In Him I will trust. Do you honestly fellowship with your Heavenly Father? Or is He just on speed dial when we need 911? When we need an emergency, when we need an ambulance, we've got God on call. I don't think it should be that way. That's not dwelling, folks. John 15, 5 says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, then you'll bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And I think we have to grasp that. We have to grasp that understanding that apart from dwelling in the secret place, living under the shadow of the Almighty God, recognizing who and what God is, giving Him the honor, the glory, the praise, and the worship is the only way we'll produce fruit. Because apart from that, we will do nothing. It's light day difference. We can try to do something. We can try to act right. But it's not going to be a genuine fruit that we are bearing. Sometimes we try to run to the closeness in the secret place once in a while. Then we ask the question why we're not close. Folks, it's not once in a while. Maybe sin is holding you back. Maybe it doesn't fit your plan. Maybe you're not sold out for Jesus. Maybe you don't want to be different. Maybe we just kind of enjoy our ways, our jobs, our entertainment, our life. We thoroughly love what we're doing. We don't want to give any of it up. So we'll just be content to not get to that secret place of the Most High. Folks, you're missing something. I believe it with my whole heart. I think that when we look at this and being in the secret should, should bring excitement to our life. I'd like to move on into verses 3 through 8. I won't. I, I mentioned that the first two verses, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. But as we go on to verses 3 through 8, and I'm not going to reread every single one of them, but he mentions a fowler, and the fowler is a guy who traps birds and then trains them. He tries to get a bird in there, and he trains them. He traps them, and he uses them for what he wants to use them for. I believe he's referring to the devil here. He likes to snare us. He likes to trick us sometimes. And then he traps us. And it says if we really dwell in that secret place of the Most High and the shadow of the Almighty, the devil cannot snare us. He will not trip us. But we have to stay in that secret place. We're not trying to run from the devil and hide from him. We're actually running to Jesus Christ, staying in that secret place, and then the devil's tricks are all garbage to us. Talks about covering, in verse 4, covering with his feathers. 
As a mother hen covers her chicks, takes care of them, provides that safety. Sad story. I kind of like pheasants. I'm not a total animal lover, so don't write me totally off. But I do kind of like pheasants. And if we mow hay early enough in the year, you end up hearing this thunk every so often. And there's a mama hen went through the hay mower. They don't survive the hay mower. That's an unfortunate part of life. Sometimes there's a, a nest of eggs underneath there, and sometimes there's little chicks running around. But she virtually gave her life by her natural instincts to protect her young, in, in a nutshell. She was willing to sit on that thing, no matter how loud and how big we were coming through there mowing hay, to, that she was willing to give everything. And I think the same thing applies to Jesus Christ. He came here, he walked this earth, but he covers us and protects us, gives us that security. Also talks about a shield. And it says he'll protect you. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. He will protect you no matter where you go and what you do. Then, it, then he gets into uh, whether it's by day or by night. And like I said, I'm not going to take them all apart. But he even talks about in verse, verse 7 and 8 there. People could fall, thousands could fall by your side. And still, even though all odds are against you, he will protect you. Wow. And it's an amazing thing. We don't do them just so God gives us physical health. We stay in that secret place because we love him and we want to worship him. I do believe sometimes, as we heard in that story, God does protect us physically, save our material possessions. But most importantly, what I want us to think about is spiritually that protection. That protection that no matter what comes our way, we can live in that holy of holies. Because really, honestly, if you actually think about it, and this is kind of a, I don't know, I probably uh, dealt with this a little bit easier now that I'm getting old, but when I was young, I, I didn't think it was quite fair. But, but the whole fact that if God actually takes you home physically, it's a reward. We go to heaven. If we've actually lived faithfully with him, going home what we think is too young is actually an advanced check of our reward. It's living with Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. Amen. Now, when I was younger, it was a little harder to wrestle with that. You know, I'm not done living yet, and I've got, you know, things I want to accomplish. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm hoping we all die tomorrow afternoon. That's not my point. God's got work for each of us yet to do. But I had to think about that, and that's what I mean by this protection, is he will protect you spiritually if you live in this holy of holies. Sometimes materialistically, too, I do believe. I got another story I'd like to read from you, and it happened in Minnesota in the summer of 1876. Swarms of grasshoppers destroyed most of the crops. The next year, fearing that the grasshoppers would return, Governor John proclaimed a day of prayer and fasting on April 26th, urging every man, woman, and child to ask God for protection. When the day came, schools and businesses were closed as people prayed for divine intervention. The next day began three days that were unseasonably warm. It was more like summer than spring. The three days of warm weather triggered the hatching of the grasshoppers. People wondered why God had not responded to their prayers. However, the fourth day brought a sudden dip in temperatures. The entire state of Minnesota was covered with frost that night. The grasshoppers were killed in the frost, and the crops of Minnesota were rescued from certain devastation. 
You went from wondering why God. These little larvae are starting to come out. We were praying. We were fasting. To the very night, God took care of it. He will protect us. Like I said, I want to be careful that I don't push total physical assurance. I do believe God heals. God is a healer. He's a, he's a great physician. But I believe without a shadow of a doubt, he will protect you spiritually if you're willing to fellowship with him. He goes on in verses 9 through 13, and he repeats this assurance in Jesus Christ. But once again, he says, Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. Wow. So he says, Because you have chosen to be in the secret place of the dwelling of the Most High, and then he gets all, he lists all these things. A plague will not come to your dwelling. I'll give angels charge over you. He even talks about it there in 13. And uh, in, in verse 13, how uh, you'll tread upon the lion and the cobra. I got a question. How many of you want to meet a lion barehanded in the wilderness that's hungry? Not see any hands. You might want to pack a little extra gun along there. Most of us would be happy to have a little bit of ammunition on our side. But I think the metaphor gives us an idea of what God will do for you. He says you'll trample them under your foot. Wow. Bring some uh, understanding to us. Verses 14 through 16 there as we close today. God is blessing the one who loves him. And this is my last point. Because he has set his love upon me, upon Jesus Christ, because you have set your love upon Jesus Christ, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. Once again, we've got this close relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ. And once again, we have the word because. He didn't mandate, make, or make you do this. Because you chose to love him and know his name, you can dwell in this place with the Most High. I want us to understand, because you have known my name and you worship me and you fellowship with me, It doesn't matter how long you live. Every step of the way, I'll be there with you if you dwell in the secret place of the Most High God. And we can rest assured in that. Enduring Word. Give me a list of things here. I was using that to study a little bit, and I was intrigued by it. So I'm going to read these off to you. To set one love upon God means to do it by choice. Not, willing on the right, not waiting on the right feelings of love to come, but simply choosing to think and act toward God in a way that expresses and builds love. Spending time with God, listening to God, reading what God has written to you, speaking to Him, thinking of Him in unoccupied moments, adoring Him, speaking of God to others, giving to God and making glad sacrifices to Him and for Him. Our culture likes to think that love is something that just happens to certain people. 
I don't believe that's with Christ. It says, because you, he, has set his love on Christ. It's a choice, folks. Are you willing to dwell in the secret place of the Most High God? Or are you going to settle to run there once in a while when you might need it? May God bless you.